Well, good morning, Sailorville. I know many of you are new this morning and and may not know me. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I'd like to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 33 as we continue nearing the end of our series, Faith of Our Fathers, this morning. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at the top 10 baby boy names from 2017. And did you know that four out of the 10 are biblical names? Now, as you heard our pastor confess to you, one of his faux pas this past year was saying, who would ever name their baby Jacob? And he took ownership for that. But did you know that there are several people who would name their baby Jacob? In fact, Jacob was the most popular, the eighth most popular boy's name in the year of 2017. Now, I would like to think that those people named them because they had read Genesis chapter 33 and not the, everything that happened before it. Because when you read Genesis chapter 33, you would see that no one and no name is beyond redemption. Anyone can be redeemed. And our text today will show that anyone can be reconciled. We see a story of two estranged brothers who were both changed and reunited together. Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, with Leah and his children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. This is the word of the Lord. May we see beautiful things in Christ's law this morning. Now Moses is writing this book, Genesis, helping the nation of Israel to know their history, that they were able to then orally pass down to their children and be able to read these writings, and they would have known very well the reconciliation that happened between Israel, that is Jacob, and his brother Esau. Perhaps they would refer back to it when two brothers would be fighting And dad would come up to them and say, don't you remember how our father Jacob was reconciled to his brother Esau? Stop fighting and be reconciled to each other. Ray Ortland just tweeted out this week, commenting on this passage. He said, this passage, particularly verse four, is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible. And reconciliation is one of the most beautiful experiences in life. Don't you agree with that? It's beautiful to be reconciled to someone. After years, weeks, perhaps even moments of dissension, it's beautiful experience to be reconciled to that person. I would add that it can also be one of the most difficult things to accomplish in life as well. Well, we know we have several kids in this room, and we're very glad that you're here, so I want to define reconciliation for you, because I'm going to be using this word a lot throughout our morning. Now, in our text, it might say, 
these reconciliation is two enemies becoming friends. But reconciliation doesn't always happen between enemies, so here's how we'll define it today. Reconciliation is the repairing of a broken relationship. The repairing of a broken relationship. And some of you adults who are like me are thinking, hey, thanks for defining that for the kids. Okay, that's for us as well, so that we know what we're talking about when we speak of reconciliation. Now, just to refresh your memory, to say that Jacob and Esau had a strained relationship would be an understatement. Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright and also his blessing, as we have seen. And then Jacob left 20 years ago because his brother Esau was looking to kill him. Now, just last week, we saw that Jacob already had the intention of going to be reconciled to his brother as he makes a special trip past his home where he's supposed to be going on down south to be reconciled to Esau. But now his intentions are heightened as he has wrestled with God. He has even more of a desire and a purpose to go and be reconciled to his brother. Because see, that's what happens when you encounter God. When you encounter God, you get a fresh vision of yourself in light of who God is. And he changes you. And he brings about new desires in your life and changes your perspective on the life that you're living. So Jacob now encountering God has a new name, a new identity to go now face his brother. His name now means the one that has, has struggled with God and prevailed. I've said to you before, my name is Brad and it means broad meadow. It'd be like being given a new name to go and face one of the biggest experiences of my life, my name being changed to Valiant Warrior or something like that, all right? This is what Jacob is going towards as he goes to reconcile, not knowing how this is going to turn out with his brother. But if reconciliation was easy, we would just do it, right? But we are people with wicked hearts. We are people who fear man. And to be honest, we're, we're lazy. And we'd rather just let it blow over rather than dealing with the problems in our life. So we're going to look at three different characters this morning. And we'll look at each one of them and how they are a model for us of reconciliation. We'll look first at Jacob as he pursues reconciliation. And then Esau, how to respond to reconciliation and then the main character of our story and of the Bible, God, the author of reconciliation. So Jacob sets out the next day to meet his brother Esau. But before he begins, he starts where all of us should begin in reconciliation. And that is Jacob, the pursuer of reconciliation, precedes it with prayer. Now we've looked at, verse, at chapter 32 and we saw Jacob's first prayer in a long time that is recorded anyway, but this is where all reconciliation needs to begin, to seek God's face. After he, he, he wrestles with God, he stops and he prays before this and prays to God. He says, listen, God, this is going to be difficult for me. 
I'm nervous, I'm scared, and he prays the promises of God in his own life. Verse, chapter 32, verse 9, and Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country, to your kindred, that I might do good. I am not worthy of the least of the deeds of this, your steadfast love, of your faithfulness you've shown to your servant, for with my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Verse 11, please deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come attack me, the mothers and their mothers with their children. Now he prays the specific promises of God. And this is what we need to do when we're pursuing reconciliation. But you need to know the promises of God, don't you, in order to pray them. It's good for us to seek the Lord, to know his promises, and then pray them back to him. He says, God, would you spare me? Because you told me you'd bring me back into my land, but I'm nervous right now. I'm nervous about this confrontation that I'm about to step into. And really, that's one of the purposes of prayer, is to show our total and utter reliance upon God. That's why we pray. And as we pray, God gets to our hearts. He reveals sin. He shows us areas that we need to change. Shows us areas that we're not relying on him. And so praying for him is not just he would save us and bring, us, bring about what we desire and what we want, but that God would have, we would go about it with a right heart that he would give to us. And so it's not about just throwing up a prayer as if some way that you need some kind of power from God, which you do, but also to talk to God and say, I, I know I can't figure this out on my own. I need your wisdom. I need your power in order for this to happen. So verses one through three, as we've already read, Jacob lines up his group of people, his servants and his family, his family in, in order of importance to him. Now this is important to notice, that even when you're pursuing reconciliation, you're doing it as a sinner who doesn't have it all together yet. Can I get an amen on that? Jacob, he's got a new name, but he doesn't have it all together. And you'll see how this favoritism continues to play out as he puts his servants, then Leah and her kids, and then Rachel and her lone son at the time, who's the only one named Joseph. So you don't have to be perfect to pursue reconciliation. If that was the case, you never would. God is still working in you, and he's calling you to pursue these things. And Jacob, as the pursuer of reconciliation, secondly, pursues it with humility. Jacob pursues with humility. He approaches his brother like someone would approach a pharaoh. He bows to him prostrate seven times. So maybe he starts doing this uh, um, half a mile as he sees his brother. He sees him, gets down. Stands up, walks a few more steps with his brother in view. We don't know how long he stays down here. I'm just guessing the text doesn't say, but then he walks a few more feet. I'm not going to do all seven, don't worry. <laughs> it's a good workout, though. 
Now, for some of you in that silence, that was a little painful to watch, wasn't it? That's the point. Humility is, is painful. It's not easy to get down and to, to prostrate yourself. And does anyone remember how old he was? 97, that's right. He's 97 years old. This would have taken him a long time to get up and down. What is Jacob doing? He's showing his humility with his physical posture. See, your physical disposition matters. Not just what you say. Did you know you can say something really humble with great pride? You can say words that are the most humblest words ever, but say them in such a prideful way with your mannerisms. You see, after all these years of Jacob trying to be superior to his brother, he's been humbled and now approaches him in submission. His heart, post his heart posture matches his physical posture. And when we're going about pursuing reconciliation, this should be it too. You know, children are really good at, hide, at not hiding this, right? When you tell someone to go be reconciled to their brother and sisters, I'm sorry. It's like, wow, very good. I said what I needed to say. Adults, were a little bit better at hiding it, aren't we? We've learned the social cues and how to do it, but this is not how our hearts should match our physical posture. When we present to people, we go humbly. Because here's the deal. Humility puts the focus on you. Now, here's what I mean by that. Jacob knows he's humble, puts the focus on himself. He doesn't stand up and say, okay, Esau, now that I've been humble, it's your turn. It's your turn. You know, you've been pretty mean too. All I'm asking is for you to recognize that. Have you ever gone to someone in reconciliation and done it that way? How'd it go for you? Not so good, right? Humility puts it on you to show that you have sinned, that you are pursuing reconciliation. And if you feel that your heart is not there yet, you need to go back in prayer and seek the Lord's face and let him humble you. And when you proceed reconciliation with prayer and pursue it with humility, you as Jacob, the pursuer of reconciliation, are able to now trust God with the results. You're able to trust God with the results. You know, God never instructs us or commands us to change the heart of someone else because we can't. It's impossible. Only God can change a heart. Jacob doesn't know how his brother is going to respond, but he knows it's his responsibility to pursue reconciliation. We are called to pursue reconciliation as Christians and trust God to bring about the results. That's why Romans 12, verse 8 is so great for this. It says, if possible, as far as it depends on you. So this verse tells us that it might not always be possible. But as far as it depends on you, don't let recon reconciliation and its results depend on you. Live peaceably with everyone. And I'm not just talking about big reconciliation. Some of you, when you heard that this morning, you're like, well, I, this isn't for me. I'm going to check out. 
because there's not really any huge reconciliation in my life that I need to do. I'm talking about the small, day-by-day reconciliation that all of us need to pursue. Is it Yanny or Laurel? No, we're not really sure, right? So much arguing. If the Yanny people would just humble themselves and recognize it, we'd all be fine. But some... You shut down, you think, I don't have anything big in my life, but you struggle with, with not, what you say, I'm just gonna let things go. No, that's, that's, not, that's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live keeping current, pursuing reconciliation with people. Just even this last week, it's so easy for me to say, I'm just gonna let something go instead of dealing with it. I said something stupid to the ladies that were working in the office, and then I left the office. And my heart was con- convicted. I thought, nah, just let it go. It wasn't a huge deal. No, I wanted to keep current. I wanted to pursue reconciliation, even the small things. And I prayed and asked God, and then I went in, and I said, ladies, I'm sorry. That was wrong and out of line for me to say that. Would you please forgive me? It's pursuing reconciliation with your spouse, with your friend with your children, that will humble you. Have you done it? Do you remember the last time you reconciled with someone? If you can't, perhaps it's because you're living at peace with everyone. (laughs) Or maybe it's that you're not really thinking that this is a huge deal and you're just letting things pass over. Deal with them. Be reconciled as far as it depends on you. Well, let's look and see and learn from Esau how he responds. Look at verse 4. But Esau, but Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you, Jacob? Jacob said, the children with whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servant drew near, they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and their children drew near and bowed down. And at last, Joseph, Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight, O Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, and God dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough, thus he urged him, and he took it. I read it a little further on than what's behind me on the screens there, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. But Esau, the recipient of reconciliation, is eager to be restored. When someone comes to us for reconciliation, our response should be to eagerly reestablish that relationship. Now, both brothers were at fault here. But Esau had been wronged the most, and he knew it. And Jacob, standing up, not knowing how how he's going to respond, the text says, but Esau. 
Instead of coming and killing Jacob, he looks up and sees his brother with his giant red beard mixed with gray running after him with a smile on his face and his arms extended and he reaches out to his brother Jacob and he wraps his arm around him and he falls on his neck and he kisses him and they cry. This Hebrew word here, the crying is uncontrollable crying after being reconciled together. So this is a beautiful picture mixed with ugly crying and tears and faces as these brothers are are being reconciled to one another. Isn't that amazing? Now, at this point, as they're hugging and embracing and the tears are flowing down, Esau leans back and he looks his brother Jacob in the eyes and he says, now that you're here, in order to be fully reconciled, I want you to own up to everything that you've done wrong. None of these half apologies. Don't just mention the birthright. Don't just mention stealing my blessing. I want to hear everything, Jacob. Spill it out. I've got all day. Is that what Esau does? No. But don't we do that? You see someone who's, who's, who's hurt you, and they come up, and they, they, they're seeking forgiveness, and they say, well, that's not enough. I want more. I want you to hurt a little bit more. I want you to feel the pain that you caused me, and I don't want a half apology. I want you to own up to everything. But that's not what Esau does. He runs to him with grace, already forgiving. He models for us how we should receive reconciliation. You notice what Jacob says? He says, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Whose face did Jacob just see the night before? The face of God. He's saying, Esau, He's not saying that your face resembles God. What he's saying is the unmerited favor, the grace that you are showing me in this moment is the same kind of grace and blessing that I just received from God. When you were approached, when you've been wrong, does that person walk away saying that was like encountering God himself? They will think that way if you don't make them own up to every sin but pursue them with humility. Jesus doesn't make you own up to every sin when you come to him, does he? No, he asks us to confess and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. As we read through verses eight and 11, we see that Esau, the recipient of reconciliation, forgave with no conditions. He forgave with no conditions. I've already read that, guys. We'll just go on to the next point there. Esau meets the whole family. He says, who who are these people? He hasn't met the wives. He hasn't met the children. And he's meeting them all for the first time in this glorious moment. And then Jacob asks, or Esau asks, hey, Jacob, what's with all these people, all these gifts that you've already sent to me? 
what was that all about, bro? And if you remember from last week, he sends some 500 animals as a peace offering to Esau, totaled up to an American $100,000. Jacob says, this was to find favor with you, my brother. And what's Esau's response? I don't need that. Esau doesn't say, say, that's what I thought it was. Good, I'm glad you did that because you owe me. Do you remember the prodigal son? Do you remember when he comes and he's practicing his I'm sorry speech to his father? He says, make me a servant. Make me one who is just going to serve you as a hired hand. And the father stops him and doesn't let him speak any further. He said, you can't pay me back. I'm going to give you everything and make you a son again with no conditions. You see, what Esau is doing, what the, what the father did in the prodigal son, is also what every single person has to do when they receive reconciliation. The offended party always absorbs the cost. Forgiveness is never free. It always costs the giver. And so for us, we must humble ourselves in receiving reconciliation and absorb the cost of what it takes in order to receive it, because there's always a price that's to be paid. And when someone comes to us as the, the, the receivers, we say, I am going to pay and re- receive, take the price on myself so that we can have an established relationship again. I'm not going to try to make you pay me back. But did you know there's a little bit of a bro code in the ancient Near East? Kind of like we have now if you go out with another guy, if you're a, a guy and a guy go out to lunch together. And there's always that time where the waitress comes and says, is this one or separate checks? And you kind of wait, see what the other guy says, or if you already have in your mind that you're going to pay, you say, it's one check. Then the other guy is supposed to go, oh, bro, you don't have to do that. That's not necessary. But in your mind, you're kind of thinking, oh, that's really cool that he did that, and I really like that he did that, right? I just did it the other day. I was running with a guy, and afterwards, we got donuts, which makes sense, right? And uh, it was a long run. And I didn't have my wallet with me, and he offered to pay for me. And I did that. I was like, no, you don't have to do that. I just want to eat. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm like, okay. That's what Esau does here a little bit. And in fact, in the ancient world, this is kind of what you were supposed to do when someone gives you a generous gift. You first refuse it, and then you accept it. So Esau does accept this gift from his brother. But here's the point. He doesn't expect it. And he doesn't demand it. And for us, we have to absorb the cost, don't expect it, and don't demand it. You know what's interesting? Is that perhaps Jesus is actually quoting Esau when he talks about the prodigal son. Esau's response. Look at this in Luke chapter 15 in our text here. I think we have that, right, gentlemen? Oh, it's a good song. Uh, If you look at that, if you look at Genesis chapter 33, there it is. Esau ran to meet him, embraced, fell on his neck, and kissed him. Look at the prodigal son. He arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Do you know what's, you see this, Esau is reflecting God himself. But do you know what's so fascinating about this whole thing? Esau does not know God. Esau 
is an unregenerate pagan who never comes to know God. Isn't that fascinating? He is definitely a changed person. So what does this teach us? If you paint a picture of unbelievers as only those who are, are mean, that like to kick puppies, then you're wrong. That is a wrong picture of an unbeliever. In fact, every single human being is made in the image of God, so unbelievers can often be moral, kind, do good, and in God's common grace, they can reflect their creator and still not know him. And sometimes, unbelievers might be better at this than Christians. That shouldn't be the case, should it? We shouldn't be outdone by an unbelieving world and reconciliation and showing grace. But we're so petty about extending forgiveness over the smallest things. Even in our church, that person that you avoid on Sundays. Oh, we're not saying this should be best friends with that person, but do you need to reconcile? Have you made things right with them? Matthew chapter 5 tells us, Jesus speaking, if you have an offering, the gift at the altar, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. So Jesus is saying, before you worship, go and make things right with your brother. What about at work? Everyone knows that you're a Christian. How's your reputation as a Christian? Are you the negative person that's always criticizing everyone or just getting together with other Christians and talking about how bad everyone else is? If that's the case, take ownership of it. Go to your coworkers and seek for forgiveness. Say, I've been judgmental. Would you forgive me? If pagans like Esau can forgive, shouldn't our readiness to pardon others and be restored to fellowship be even more evident in the Christian's life and in the church? Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting them the message of reconciliation. How are you doing in this? If you're a Christian, you've been reconciled, and God is calling you to extend that reconciliation to speak on his behalf to others, offering reconciliation from God and reconciliation with one another. So let's look lastly at God, the author of reconciliation. You have to understand that God plays both roles. He's a pursuer of reconciliation because he doesn't need it in himself. He has never done anything wrong. And he is also the one who receives the reconciliation when we've sinned against God. God comes and finds us. And God, the, pursuit, the author of reconciliation, is eager to reconcile. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't wait for us to clean up, to get things right in our lives. In the midst of our sin, he comes and he finds us. And he offers us through salvation. 
And in this sense, when we talk about God and man, we are talking about enemies becoming friends. We are enemies of God because of our sin. We've rebelled against him. And in Genesis, and then James goes on and tells us that when Abraham believed God, that God offers reconciliation, James says that he became a friend of God. God, the author of reconciliation, number two, provides the means for reconciliation. He provides the means for reconciliation. There's always a price that has to be paid, and it always costs the giver. And he, the one who is offended, provides the price so that we can have reconciliation with God for free. And how does that reconciliation, what is the price that was paid? The death of his own son so that we might have forgiveness and sins and an opportunity for reconciliation. Both brothers were reconciled to each other, but only one of them was reconciled to God. Jacob mentions God four times throughout this short text. Not once does Esau he was doing good and changing apart from God. He had turned over a new leaf in his life. But we're told in Hebrews, in Romans chapter 9, that he never came to know God. He was irreverent and godless, Hebrews tells us. But Jacob knew God personally. And when he goes and he finally gets to his home, in, chapter, in verse 20, there he erected an altar called it El Ehoiai Israel. And what does that mean? It says, God, the God of Israel. Now I saw that and I thought, that doesn't seem all that personal, does it? He says, the God of Israel, of course. Yeah, he's the God of Israel. But Israel doesn't exist yet. It's only one person. And later would come the 12 tribes from his son, Jacob. He said, this is his new name. So what is Jacob saying? He's saying, God, my God. I'm Israel and God is my personal God. Can you insert your name in there? Can you say, God, my God. Brad's God. Can you put your name in there? Has he, have you been trying to turn over new leaves, doing good apart from God? Once you be reconciled to him today, trust his cost that he's brought, his provision of reconciliation, his son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you did indeed give us your son, you did indeed bring these two estranged brothers together. You did a work in both of their hearts. God, I pray that we would be reconciled to one another. God, we thank you that you have offered us reconciliation. And I pray for the one that's in this room this morning that is, would consider themselves a good person. Perhaps even sadly looked around at other Christians and said, I think I'm a better person than they are. That might be the case. 
It's not about turning over a new leaf, but it's making a personal relationship with God through trusting Jesus Christ that he paid the price for your sins, substituting himself so that you can be reconciled to him and be called God's friend. We thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray, amen.